Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanowski here, studying with you today, Tractate Pesachim, page Samech Bet, or 62. In the course of our long discussions about uh, the kinds of defective intentions that can invalidate a Passover sacrifice, there's an interesting story on today's page which combines a little bit of uh, interesting insight into how the Talmud is put together as well as uh, reveals interesting attitudes of the rabbis themselves on the relationship of law and lore, the, uh, the specific rules of halakha, as well as the stories that go behind it and the, uh, and the exposition of the biblical books by which the rabbis express their thought. First, on the composition of the Talmud, where do these sources that are quoted come from? The rabbinic period stretches for a very long time, we can say roughly the the destruction of the temple of the year 70, a little bit before that, uh, up until the conclusion of the Babylonian Talmud, which is edited somewhere in the 6th century for handy-dandy purposes, let's say, let's say around the year 550. And the material that is quoted in the Talmud circulated orally among different rabbinic circles in Eretz Yisrael, Palestine, as well as in uh, Babylonia, in the various Jewish settlements in, in the area around Mesopotamia. One of the effects of that uh, oral circulation is that you'll often find stories or laws given in different versions in the different books. They may be in the Jerusalem Talmud, or the, that Talmud ed- edited in, the, uh, in Eretz Yisrael about somewhere between 100 and 150 years before the Babylonian Talmud, or the Midrash collections. And you can sometimes, by comparing different versions, learn what's unique about version A or B or C, or what's what's the earlier version that the later one might be commenting on, and we have an example of that on our page. The next thing that I want to point out is that the rabbis themselves have an attitude of ambivalence towards lore, Agadah. As the great uh, Israeli or pre-Israeli writer, Hebrew writer Chaim Nachman Bialik wrote in his wonderful, wonderful essay called Halakha Agadah, Law and Lore, Halakha has a stern face, and Agadah has a smiling face. Halakha is very demanding. It's yes is yes, it's no is no. Agadah is a set of stories and reflections, and it can be seen from many different many different perspectives. There are 70, 70 different faces to the Torah. That's really a sort of Agadic statement. It's not that the two are opposed. In fact, as Bialik says most correctly, they are the same thing in different form. Halakha is ice, and Agadah is flowing water. If you think that those are different things, then you're quite confused, but they're different elements in the Jewish repertoire and, and, and have different roles in Jewish, in Jewish life. Halakha has to come to a final answer. Agadah is full of pluralism and openness, and you can disagree. You don't have to assent. In all events, in our long uh, reflection on the kinds of defective intentions which mess up a Passover sacrifice, we do hear an interesting story about Rabbi Simlai. Rabbi Simlai appears, this story appears both on our page in the Bavli as well as in the Yerushalmi. The story itself reflects an attitude that lore might be fabulous, 
but it's to be restricted and not for everybody. And the story also reflects possibility that the that lore is just not that interesting, and it's not something you know. Real men don't study Agada. Real men study Halakha. This is what, and this is true about rabbinic culture ever since then. That there's a sense that uh, that the really proficient, very serious student should skip the Agada, which is, so to speak, child's play, or in the, in the very unkind phrase, for women and children, but for men, it's about the rules. So this is the story that we have. Our, our page here in the Bible says, Rabbi Simlai Ata Lekame de Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Simlai comes before Rabbi Yochanan. Amar le nitni nitne li mar sefer yuhasin. May the master teach me the book of genealogies. That sounds like it's probably a book of human genealogies, and maybe it is. That's, that is what that, that word means in other contexts, but in this context, uh, our page seems to take it as a book of lore, perhaps the Midrashic explanations of the Book of Chronicles. That's what our that's what our page will say it is. And when we look at the parallel, I think you'll see that that's probably correct. That he's asking for instruction in the exposition of the homiletical exposition of a book of uh, the Bible, the Book of Chronicles. And Rabbi Yochanan pushes him off, and he says, "Where are you from?" He says, "Well, I'm I'm from Lud, the city Lud, where where Ben Gurion Airport is today, and these." Rabbi Simlai says he's now dwelling in the Babylonian city of Nahardea. And Rabbi Yochanan puts him off and says, Well, I happen to have a tradition that I can't teach this material to people either from Lud or Nahardea. You're a two-time loser. I just can't tell you. And he presses him. Rabbi Simlai presses him. And finally he does agree to teach him the material. And Rabbi Simlai says kind of arrogantly, I'd like to learn it for the next three months. And, and Rabbi Yochanan uh, says, Picks up... Uh, picks up a hunk of dirt and throws it at him. Shakal kala patakpe. He picks up a, a, a hunk of mud and throws it at him and says to him, what, I can teach you in three months? Are you crazy? Bruria. Bruria is a famous woman from early in the rabbinic period. She is Devitu de Rabbi Meir Ubarate de Rabbi Hanani ben Charadion. She's Rabbi Meir's wife. She's Rabbi Hanani ben Charadion's daughter. She's a famously mythically uh, intelligent and wise woman. One of the very few quoted such in the Talmud. And it says that she, who learned 300 different teachings from 300 different rabbis in a single day, couldn't even master this material in three whole years. And you, arrogant fool, think that you're that you're going to master it in three months. Get out of here. And so Rabbi Simai is chastened. And as he leaves, he says to him, Can you please just tell me one last thing? Tell me one last thing. Tell me, tell me why there is a different rule for when the Pesach sacrifice is offered with the improper intention that it will feed both those eligible to eat the sacrifice and those ineligible to eat the sacrifice, the sacrifice itself nonetheless remains valid for those who are eligible, whereas a sacrifice with a different kind of defective intention, that it is both for Passover but at the wrong time, or the wrong kind of sacrifice but for Passover, why, why is that invalid? And the Rabbi Yochanan says, oh, I see that you're a very wise student, so now I'd like to respond to you. And he gives him then a list of the four of the four reasons why that is true. Okay, so why, why that rule should be true. So this is interesting, right on its face, when Rabbi Simlai comes to ask for uh, instruction in lore, and our page will say that the that the single verse in in Chronicles had four hundred different interpretations. It was so rich. It was so full of ideas. It was so full of thought. For that, Rabbi Yochanan says uh, he puts him off and says it's not for you, which either means. Um, it's not for you because you're unworthy. Agatha is so important and so rich, and, and I don't choose to teach it to you. But I think the more likely interpretation in the Bagli itself is that that explanation that I can't teach it to you is just is just an invented excuse. The real reason is he's just not interested. 
He just doesn't have the time for it. But when he asks a very narrow, specific halachic question, then Rabbi Yochanan is very happy to spend time explaining it to him. So here's, here, in our case, we have an example that halacha is just a ton more interesting to Rabbi Yochanan. Now, let's turn for a moment to the Jerusalem Talmud, which on our same Mishnah raises the same question with what is clearly the same story, but there's some interesting differences. And I think you'll see that the version that we have in the Yerushalmi is earlier. Rabbi Simlai also comes, comes before a rabbi. Here it's Rabbi Yonatan. The names look similar as the letters are, are similar, and they even sound similar. Rabbi Yochanan in the Bible is a huge and famous figure, Rabbi Yonatan less so. It makes no sense to think that somebody would take a story about Rabbi Yochanan and change the attribution uh, to Yonatan, a less famous, less famous figure. It would be like if there were a story about President Franklin Roosevelt and somebody has a different version that it's about President Franklin Pierce. No, no, that makes no sense. It must have been originally about Franklin Pierce and somebody later applied it to Franklin Roosevelt. Similarly, the story must be about Rabbi Yonatan, that, that somebody switched to the more famous Rabbi Yochanan in era. And Rabbi Simlai says to him, uh, Alfan Agada, please teach me Agada, not the specific book of Yuhasin, the specific book about the Book of Chronicles, but just teach me lore. And he responds to him, I'm sorry I can't do that. Masorat biadime abutai, I hold, I hold the tradition from my parents, Shalolilamed Agada, to not teach lore, lo labavli, velo ladrome, neither to a Babylonian nor to a southerner. And you are Babylonian, you're from Nahardea, and you dwell now in the south, in Lud, in the land of Israel. By the way, this makes much more sense also than the Babli, which suggested that, he, that, that Rabbi Simlai was now living in Nahardea in Babylonia and asking Rabbi Yochanan. That makes no sense. Rabbi Yochanan's not in Nahardea, he's in the land of Israel. Th- this passage in the Yerushalmi also says, why should we not teach, teach Agadah to Babylonians or southerners? Shehen gase ruach Torah, because they are arrogant, crude boors, and they have too little Torah. Now, that's not kind to Babylonians or to Southerners, probably not true about them, but our, our, our passage in the Yerushalmi is the exact opposite, which is not that, that it's not worth the teacher's time, but only the elite and the sharpest and the most, elite, most, uh, most gentle, kind, you know, uh, really sophisticated people, and the wisest people should study Agadah. And then when he throws him out, uh, then when he throws him out, he asks that same question, can you tell me the difference between the one kind of improper intention that leaves the sacrifice still kosher, and the other kind of improper intention that invalidates the sacrifice, and he gives him a similar set of answers. It would appear that the Babylonian passage has a different way of thinking than the Jerusalem Talmud passage, and, and emphasizes a different, uh, different aspect. The Bible doesn't really have time to explain Agadah to the Jerusalem Talmud. It's for an especially refined and elite student. Now, I think everybody should have Agadah, everybody should have lore, but I think everyone should have law too. Anyway, an interesting debate within the rabbinic sources over a single story. Hope you enjoyed that, and I look forward to studying with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.